0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. So here's what Lacrosse has recently done: they've taken their 100 plus years of experience to create a new line of lace-up hunting boots called the Navigator Series. Now, the Navigator Series comes in two options: the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. Now, if you want to find out more about their high quality awesome boots, you need to go to lacrossefootwear.com.
1: Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Parker McDonald, and this is episode number 43. Today, we are officially capping off the Local Legends Summer Series. I'm sitting down with my friend Drew Robbins and Ted Bright, and we're breaking down key points from each of our Local Legends guests. Get ready. This is the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Hey, 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 what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I am saddened today because today is the absolute cap of the Local Legends series. It's going to be a great episode, and I've got my buddies Drew Robbins and Ted Bright. They're going to be talking with me. What we're doing in this episode is we're breaking down key points that each of our Local Legends brought to the table in their episode. That's Warren Womack, Jamie McKay, Peter Updike, and Rick Kiley, who you heard from last week. It's a great episode, so full of information. I'm really excited, though, today because, uh, of course, Drew, you heard from him a couple weeks ago. Drew Robbins, great guy. Just an absolute um, blast getting to hang out with him and talk with him. But this is the first time we've had Ted Bright on the show, and I've talked to Ted several times about coming on. Um, but it's been one of those conflicts in my mind of having him on as a guest because he's not necessarily a Southerner, which some people might consider Missouri to be a Southern state. I don't really know. So if you know for sure that Missouri is considered a Southern state, let me know. But, um, Ted is so full of information. The guy's a big buck killer. He's a diehard saddle hunter. And we had a guy from New York on last year, so, or last week, so, um, you know what's the big deal about having somebody on from missouri it's uh it's all good i'm super glad ted was able to come on the show we were able to work this thing out and um yeah stay tuned if you are uh if you love talking about whitetail deer if you like breaking down tactics and strategies this is a great episode for it before we get into that i want to let you guys know that if you're not using onyx maps you need to start soon especially if you're a public land hunter can't tell you how many times onyx has saved my life so go to onyxmaps.com get your membership and just make your hunting altogether easier um speaking of making your hunting easier let's talk about tetherednation.com for a minute um i'm super jacked about this season this is going to be my second season in a saddle and my first I, I i last year i was in a saddle at the beginning of the Alabama season and kentucky season though when we went for the opener in kentucky i did not have my saddle yet and it made everything much more difficult the trees are harder to climb they're not tall, straight trees like we have here in alabama so i was using a climber just wasn't my cup of tea it was really tough i'm not going to say that's why i didn't kill a deer but i will say if i could have been in the trees that i wanted to be in then it would have been a lot easier to get a shot off i'm really excited about using my mantis saddle and predator platform in kentucky this year speaking of saddle hunting big announcement in two days from the time this episode airs in two days that's going to be august the 24th saturday we're doing the alabama saddle hunter demo day and it's going to be a blast i've got a lot of guys that are going to be there so many people have told me they're coming we're going to have saddle people with with all different kinds of saddles there and um, just trying out their their methods their climbing methods it's gonna be a great time We're gonna provide lunch for you so um, it's hundred percent free and lunch is going to be provided just want to have a great time and we're gonna shoot our bows practice a little bit doing that and just all together going to be a great time so if you're in the area or you want to make the drive to Odinville Alabama we're doing that I believe it's at 10 o'clock. In the morning, on Saturday morning, before it gets hopefully too terribly warm, we're going to go from about 10 to 2 and um, eat lunch in between, just hang out and have a good time with like-minded people, so that's going to be a blast, guys, I'm so excited again about this episode, we're going to go ahead and get into this, this is the, what will we call it, we'll call it the Local Legends Breakdown Podcast with my buddies Drew Robbins and Ted Bright. Hope you guys like it. Alright guys, welcome back to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm joined here uh, with my buddy Drew. How's it going, Drew?
2: Good, man. How are you, Parker?
1: I'm good. Uh, And also, all the way in Missouri, our friend Ted Bright. Ted, what's going on, bud? Howdy, howdy,
3: fellas. Thanks for having me on this morning, Parker.
1: Yeah, man, absolutely. So, here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to break down um, all of the local legends. Yeah. And what we're going to do is we're going to just talk about several things that uh, we feel like were important to each of those episodes and each of those guests. Um, Several of the key things that maybe make them successful or make them worthy of being called a local legend. I think that's a... Legendary is kind of a word. It's like the (laughs) word game changer. You know, they kind of get thrown around there a lot. Um, And so, doing this episode, that kind of those guests are not going to be able to to defend for themselves on this episode, or or they probably wouldn't even be defending for themselves. What they would be doing is saying, "Oh man, that's not me. Stop talking about me." You know, that's just how these guys are. So, um, but before we do that, I want to uh, I want our listeners to get to hear from Ted a little bit. They got to hear from you, Drew. Yeah um what was it a couple weeks ago a couple weeks ago and uh and they have not ever gotten to hear from ted now ted is um obviously he's in missouri so it's not really ted would you consider that a a, mid, a midwest state or is it kind of like i don't know is it is it sort of southern
3: it's a midwest state with a uh uh remnants of a southern theme how's that
1: uh, okay nice. i like that
4: yeah, <laughs> it's it sounds
1: Midwest though the way that you said that was a really Midwest thing to say. Southern people would have said, "Well, oh, well, I reckon it's pretty Southern. I, I, it's kind of in the Midwest on the map, but that's that would have been how a Southern person would have explained it, Ted. So I reckon
3: it's Southern from way back. No. There it is. <laughs> there, there, it. there it is.
1: Reckon, reckon. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, Ted, obviously you are. Um, a deer hunter because we wouldn't have you on this podcast why don't you talk a little bit um let our let our listeners know kind of the your style of hunting and and kind of how you how you navigate the woods and um man i know the last couple years you've been pretty successful doing it So, so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that
3: yeah thank you well again thanks for having me on on the show this morning it's going to be a good time discussing the uh the the greatest of the local legend series that you did, which was excellent.
1: Greatest uh, hits. so a little bit you of... call it. <laughs> I'm sorry. The greatest hits of the local legend series. That's what it'll be.
3: There you go. There you go. Uh, so a little bit of history on me. I I grew up in Pennsylvania, uh, hunting the you know uh, south central eastern area and Maryland uh, in the in the mountains also. Um, so that's where I kind of cut my teeth. Uh, especially on archery hunting. And then at the age of 16, I moved to Missouri and, uh, you know, always been a big public land guy. Uh, you know, killed my first deer on public land. I killed my first deer with a bow on public land. I killed my first buck with a bow on public land. Um, so, you know, rich history of public land hunting. Then I actually kind of got uh, away from it for a while and hunted primarily on private land. And then, um, you know, as, as I, as my hunting has evolved, um, I've also become very passionate about youth hunting. So, you know, uh, I've taken two kids through the, uh, through the youth career hunting and, you know, it's been a tremendous, uh, amount of fun and success. And, you know, my kids, they kind of take after me and they like to do it the right way. Uh, you know, they're not afraid to go in deep, you know, my son and I, will, do a lot of uh, you know weekend camping trips on public land, and and those have uh, turned out to be you know extremely successful as well. Yeah, and I, I'll be embarking upon that again with my youngest, who's now five, and she is ready to go. She is uh, uh-huh. her her flame is lit, and she She's is excited good, for hunting. Great. Yeah, Anna. she was actually with me last year when I. I killed a nice 10 pointer and you know I don't hardly rifle hunt anymore at all but I did you know to take her out with me you know and yeah. sure enough we ended up killing a 10 pointer behind the house it's pretty cool
1: That's pretty that's cool good, I man. saw I remember seeing a picture of that that's man I'll tell you what that's how I got started like that's how I got that's how I got hooked was just being there with my dad I didn't even I didn't even care if he was shooting it or or me like I was 7 years old and I was like and I just this is so cool I talked about it I think in one episode pretty recently, but like it's kids like kids likes, this is going to sound maybe a little bit morbid, but pretty true. Like I've never seen a, I've never seen a little boy that saw a dead deer and then said, Ooh, gross. You know, they're Mm -hmm. always like, Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) You know? And it's just, or, or a dead Turkey or a a fish, skin and fish. There's just something ingrained in us that from Eddie, especially at a young age, that's like, that's not gross. That is natural. And that's cool. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Um, and if you can, if you can navigate that the way that, that you're doing it, Ted, and, and really harness that, man, it can, it can pay off big time.
3: Definitely. You know, I think there's a lot to be said for being self-sufficient, right. Mm -hmm. Um, being able to to do things on your own, not rely Mm -hmm. on others. And I think that, you know, in today's society, it's a little, Shameful, but there's a lot of kids that grow up thinking that their food comes from the grocery store or, you know, wherever their parents are shopping for it instead of, you know, what's more natural and that is providing for it for yourself.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, I, I, my family is like my mom, I'm not going to say she didn't like deer meat. She did like deer meat, but it took a while for, for her to like it. But then we kind of got to a point where it was like just like normal that that's just, that's what we ate was if we had anything that was quote unquote beef, we would replace that with venison. Cause that's just, <laughs> cause it was, it's, it's what good. we had. And yeah. and it, I, I say it was free, but it was really mostly expensive, but it kind of got to, to where now, you know, because that was instilled into me at a young age. Now when I'm like, one of my favorite parts about the hunt is going to the processor and and that's kind of like where everything comes back full circle. So it's like it's like this is the last part of of this hunt experience yeah. of this specific deer is when I go to the processor or if I if I do all the processing myself um when that's finished and it's all bagged up it's like that is what that is what completes it for me and um, and I think, I think it's just so cool. Like that's, that's something I learned at a, at a young age and most people learned at a young age. And when you, when you keep those values, you know, I, I, I would go so far as to say people who are poachers right now probably were instilled the values of poachers as kids, you know what I mean? Um, and so we really have the opportunity to, to do that. And that's, that's kind of, we, we talked about this before, but that's kind of the, the overarching theme of the local legend series is, um, getting other people involved is kind of the not being selfish, yeah, would yeah. kind of be the normal thing, but um we'll we'll get into that here in in just a minute uh drew, I'm gonna give you a chance to uh tell us what you've been up to for the past two weeks since you've been on the show.
2: well, I was r- doing really good getting out and shooting my bow, getting everything ready for the deer season, and then um <laughs> we've had a busy couple of weeks there at the house, yeah. so I haven't done much shooting and much prepping but had been in the saddle some more. My, oh yeah. My uh, versa straps came in, and so, um, and Ted, th- this will be my first year saddle hunting, and so, um, I don't, I don't know if you listened to the episode a couple weeks ago, but I went all out, man. I sold every stand that I had, and um, um, and so I'm, I'm going all out saddle hunting this year. So I'm just getting used to it, getting adjusted to it, and, um, uh, the I put my micro fit adjusters on. Man, those things are awesome.
1: Yeah. And I don't even use mine. Yeah, but I'm a little bit them. bigger than you are. Yeah, that's and true. so, <laughs> um, so just been,
2: yeah, you know, I just been um, getting, getting, I guess, uh, Greg would call it saddle shape. You yep. know, just sitting, just getting used to it. And man, I am, I'm loving it. I am loving it.
1: That's cool. Loving, loving. That's it. Awesome. I, I'm glad you said that because that was, I, I knew, I know Ted was about, probably about to get into that part of his of his whole process of how he how he does st- things and his style of hunting
2: oh i've ted i have watched your videos i've creeped you on youtube so just just to let you know i've watched <laughs> oh, cool. i watched some stuff and so because i'm just trying to learn you know just trying to learn and so um but man it's i love that thing it's awesome
3: well welcome to the saddle hunting ranks
2: I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. So if, I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked Parker. If you could give one piece of advice to a brand new saddle hunter, what would it be?
3: You've already done it. You've sold all your stands. You're fully committed. That's <laughs> it. Seriously.
4: Yes. Because go you know, go all in. Your first few
3: times up there, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. You're going to be fiddling with it, you know, and then your first couple times of hunting, you're going to be like, this is so cool. And next thing you know, you're going to be swinging around like a damn monkey and <laughs> you're going to bust, the, you know, you're going to have does that run off or even a buck, whatever. Because this yeah. happens to everybody. Right. But as you evolve throughout your first season of hunting in a saddle, you start to figure it all out. You know, you start yeah. to really incorporate the strategy into it, not just swinging around like a monkey because it's cool. Right. Uh, and, right. and I promise you that will happen. Uh, and so you, you're it, you're in, you're fully committed, you know that is my single biggest piece of advice to everybody that's considering getting into saddle hunting, because if you had to do it, you would do it. And you have a, you know, you had a a learning curve when you were 12 years old and you started hunting out of a tree stand or, you know, whatever that age was, you're going to have that learning curve. So yeah, you might as well just go all in, you know, there's enough people out there that are saying this is a superior way to hunt uh, that, you know, it, it, it should be resonating with people. So you've done it the right way and I would venture to say that you'll have a very successful first season.
2: Well I appreciate it, man, and, and thank you for putting some good content out there and, and also what I love most about it too is that even even your son, you know, is into the saddle game and it, it just shows yeah. it just shows the safety of the saddle, you know, and um which is which is just really cool to see.
1: Yeah, it builds it builds up your confidence in, it in does. the system it a does. lot more. I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. So, Ted, tell us, when, do you, when did you start saddle hunting?
3: Uh, I have saddle hunted for two full seasons. Okay. And uh, to to your point, Drew, uh, being up in a tree in a saddle with my son right below me right. in a saddle, yeah. and watching him shoot a, a nice two-and-a-half-year-old eight-point buck on public ground last year on land that we've never been to, Oh, man. was one of our crowning achievements of my hunting career, for sure. It was awesome. That was, oh, I that can't wait, cool.
2: man. Gosh, I can't he, wait for He that. just
3: actually woke up to get ready for school right now and uh, <laughs> walked out into the garage and was able to hear me say that on this podcast. So that's pretty <laughs> oh, cool. That's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Is
1: he still in there? Yes, he is. What's up, TJ?
3: Here, let me put you on speakerphone real quick. Okay. Of course, he's a groggy sixteen-year-old.
1: But sure, that's okay. Oh, I
2: mean, that's just a given. All
1: right. What's up, TJ? You're on the podcast right now. You doing all right?
3: Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. How are you?
1: Doing good, dude. How's how's football going?
0: Good. It's a big change, but
1: what's the what's the change? The what's the change about it right now?
3: Uh, bigger school, different playbook. Um, Nice. A lot better athletes on our team and other teams.
1: Yeah. So are you? Uh, what 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 position are you playing this year? Just for all the listeners. Quarterback. Quarterback. Man, got all the ladies running after you, don't you? (laughs) Golly. Oh, of
4: course. (laughs) (laughs) Us us
1: linemen, we didn't we didn't really get that. We we got more. (laughs) No. We were too busy at the vending machine, but whatever. All right, TJ, man. Have a great day at school. Thank you for coming on the podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. See you, bud.
3: See you. You back, Ted? Yep. Yep, I'm
1: back. Dude, okay, I have a question for you. All right. How do you balance, because me and my dad probably didn't do this very well, how do you balance football and deer hunting with your kid?
3: Well, it's, Oh, it's tough because the, the two just, you know, coincide
1: yeah. from
3: the season's perspective. Uh, you just got to make it work, you know. I mean, for, from uh, TJ's third grade through eighth grade years, I, I was his uh, I was his coach, you know, and we mm-hmm. practiced three nights a week, you know. So not only does that take three nights of hunting out of the equation, but then, you know, what are you going to go hunting the other two nights and not be home at all? So it it definitely makes it yeah. tough uh just got to get in as much you know weekend hunting as you can and now that he's in high school you know he's uh, going into his junior year uh that has definitely freed up time for me but you know he is really relegated to weekend hunting during football uh but football you know for for uh, his high school previous uh was ending you know as soon as you know with one playoff game basically um so that was ending right around the end of october early november so like last year it worked out perfect his first weekend of not having film study and game prep and all that stuff um we were able to go on that public land adventure that we went on where we both killed bucks and you know he killed that eight pointer out of the same tree as me mm-hmm. so you know you just it's got to kind of got to make it work but um you know november is largely free but however this year you know with a a different school uh he could be playing deep into november so you know that might be a different paradigm even this year but at the end of the day you just take the opportunities when you can get them and make the most of
1: them yeah that's good
2: yeah ted i i I have a question for you and it's because this is all tying into the same theme of just getting hunters involved and everything and and i know you have you you had mentioned you have a sixteen year old boy, but you also have a five year old girl. Um, and do do you see a difference in um, in you know? And this isn't guys versus girls, but in in introducing your son to hunting and then in, and then introing your girls into hunting.
3: Uh, yeah. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's more a personality thing. So I have right. a nineteen year old daughter also, okay. and she you know she's killed several deer. She enjoys going once, twice, three times a year. Um, She gets so worked up when she sees deer. Uh, I could tell stories that's like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, when we're sitting around the family table at holidays or whatever, you know, these are always the stories that come up because it's always an adventure. Uh, But she's not the type that, you know, wants to go all the time. And when we do go, she hunts really hard. She's one of the quietest walkers in the woods I've ever heard. Normally, you know, I'm like getting on to people because they don't walk quiet enough for me. Uh, But she does. And it's interesting, (laughs) you know, that it's her. Um, Now, my five-year-old, she is just like TJ. Uh, She is just all into it. I mean, she wants to go scouting. She wants to go walk in the woods. She, you know, at the age of five, just two weeks ago, we went out and hung a game camera and we had to walk through you know, some, some of the real thick scrub brush and everything. And uh, she's like, Daddy, just go ahead. I'll, I'll keep up with you. I'll keep up with <laughs> you. Don't worry about me. <laughs> and that was how TJ was. So yeah. I, I see it as not necessarily as much of a male versus female right. as a personality thing. And there's a lot of other aspects where her personality is very similar to TJ's as well.
2: Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Because I have a five and a three year old, a five year old girl and a and a, a three year old boy, and and I know Parker has, um, two two kids, and so just introducing them, we, I was able to take baby girl twice last year, and we went, you know, set in the ground blind. and She just ate it up. I mean, just you know, taking the binoculars and looking at them out the wrong way, you know, and she's like, Daddy, I can see a deer, and then there's no deer there, you know, and so it was it was so much fun, man, so much I see fun.
1: One. Well, all right. So, so we're kind of we kind of uh, really need to get started on this on this episode. Um, so, basically, what we're doing, I'll say it again. What we're doing is we're going to break down the local legends series, all of our guests, kind of the key points that that each guest talked about. And I'm super excited about this. I've really enjoyed the series. Everybody who's listening, guys, thank you so much for your feedback on it. It has been nothing short of incredible. It's been it's been so awesome and. I think we're going to be able to, to do this again, maybe next summer, and uh, and talk to some other people. But um, we're going to just kind of go around go around the the room slash phone and um, just kind of talk about this. So so I, I'll start with with Warren Woolmix, and um, I'll start knowing that Drew, your. Um, what, what you're going to talk about is going to probably be what we end up talking about the most because I think it's really good. But um, one of the things that, that really stuck out for me from Warren Womick um, was the segment about him talking about how he um, trains every single – like around September is when he starts getting into shape. He climbs mm-hmm. a tree. He started this tradition. And um, when, I, when I think back to th- to this episode – something that i can apply to what i have applied even more this year something i can apply to what i do to make me a better deer hunter it's going to be that one yeah it's to make it a tradition not just something that i do kind of but do it you know if it's first thing in the morning go out and climb a tree get practice at it get fluent at it um, it's just going to make you just going to make you better mm-hmm. so yeah.
2: yeah there there was man there was, that was such a good episode there was so much I mean, mm-hmm. you you almost didn't want to take notes on it because you just wanted to hear him talk, mm-hmm. you know. And so, because he it, it, it was just awesome. But um, one of the things that I that I did write down was um, he was talking about those primary feed trees. What do you do when you don't find that primary feed tree, mm-hmm. you know? And then obviously his journal was just phenomenal. I mean, just absolutely yeah, great. But uh, Ted, what 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 were your thoughts on some of uh, Warren's? Gosh,
3: I would say anybody that is that wants to, you know, further their hunting acumen, uh, anybody that is maybe hit a rut and they're looking for inspiration, yeah. or anybody that's looking to get into hunting, should listen to that podcast. It's it's one of the best I've heard in a long time. Uh, and, and quite frankly, Parker, it really didn't have a whole lot to do with your hosting abilities. It was <laughs> all <okay>. Mister Warren.
4: <laughs> Listen, I understand. <laughs> I'm, I'm I understand. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, <laughs> but but seriously. he
3: does make it easy because, <laughs> man, is he a wealth of knowledge. He is. Uh, he is inspirational. You know, just seeing his posts on the various social media outlets and everything, um, the guy is amazing. You know, I mean, he's the guy that you want to to pattern your life after. Um, he's so methodical. Uh, but he enjoys it. He's passionate about it. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. robotic. Um, I mean, you know, that's kind of the overarching theme that I took away from it. I guess it just more hammered at home than what I knew from uh, posts and other podcasts, but that was the most personal that I had heard from him. And it was, you know, I'm going to listen to it probably a couple more times just because it was that good, but at 77 years old, you know, I mean, he's out there, Uh, practicing, like you said, Parker, weeks before the season. So, you know, before he got into a saddle three years ago, oh, yeah, by the way, that's a great point. At 74 years old, (laughs) he decides to embark upon this newfangled hunting craze called saddle hunting uh, at 74. Uh, You know, I mean, that's a great testament right there. But before that, when he incorporated a rock rock harness climbing uh, system into his uh, you know his safety regimen and his lock on, he would go out and practice um, escape uh, rescuing whatever it is from a fallen position and if that 's not methodic, you know and, then yeah. what is he 's out in his tree in his yard. I can picture it at seventy four years old, basically simulating a scenario where he has fallen and his rock harness has caught him, and you know how do I get out now uh, you know that's, uh, that's I don't know. I just find that next level that most guys are not willing to do.
1: No, not mm-hmm. at all.
2: No, he's he's building his own stands. He's mocking up his own stands during the lunch break.
1: Yeah,
2: taking him to a welder and be like, "Can you make?" Th-? I mean, it's, it's he's just next level on everything.
1: Yeah, he is, he is. I'm, I I enjoy I enjoy Warren because he, especially on social media, Warren's kind of created this this. um if maybe he more, more or less brought it back to a world that is mostly concerned with, with bigger deer and antler size and, and things like that. And did you kill that on public or private or did, did you shoot that with a bow or did you shoot that with a gun? Well, Warren kind of does all of it and, and does all of it extremely well. So whenever he posts a picture of a you know a, a little basket rack five point or something on, on Instagram – it may have a traditional, may have like a recurve bow next to it. It may have a rifle laying next to it. It may have a compound bow laying next to it. It doesn't really matter. and I think Warren's kind of shed a light on the fact that it's all hunting, and mm-hmm. you, can, you can do all of it or not. You can do one of those things. It doesn't really matter. Neither one of them is better or worse. It's just all about the preference. If you like to bow hunt with a recurve bow better, then by golly, do it. But if you want to use a gun, do that too. Nobody's sitting here. Nobody's gonna say. I say nobody's gonna say anything. People will say things, but they shouldn't. Yeah. And I think you're gonna see. I think you're gonna see an influx of that as as Warren and people like Warren gain more popularity, and uh, as social media gets bigger, and you know, people like that start to pop up. I think you're gonna see that. But I, I do want to talk about what you what you talked about, Drew, uh, and and I really want to break this down and try to break it down as as good as I can okay. on on primary feed trees. Okay. Um, do you, let me, let me ask you this, Ted, is this something that, that you do as well there in Missouri? Is it a, like finding those primary feed trees?
3: Uh, yeah, you know, there's definitely some of that. Uh, but, you know, I, there are so many Oak trees in Missouri that, you know, you're, when we talk about primary food trees in Missouri, we're largely talking about, especially, October, November time frame, or even September, uh, you're talking about, you know, acorns and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know he, he delineates between hard mass and soft mass. And, you know, you, you'll have some of that here, uh, you know, maybe some deer eating maple leaves and such, but primarily you're talking about oak trees. And it, I, I can't do it to the level that uh, Warren can, but you know, finding that acorn tree that is the most palatable to them at that period of time, it's pretty tough to do when the majority of the forest is those uh those oak trees you know that are producing the the acorns uh yeah I, I can't say that i can do it to the level of uh warren that's for sure uh although i am trying yeah so i know that doesn't really answer your question but
1: no um, it does it
3: it, it does it answer does. It.
1: it does answer it because i i would i would say mostly the same thing for mm-hmm. me in alabama um i have one specific spot that i hunt that is i mean it's just all white oaks that's all it is in the in this whole area so you know the deer are going to be around there somewhere Mm -hmm. but you don't exactly know it takes you a while to pinpoint yeah the exact trail that they're going to take or the exact tree that they're going to be feeding under i say that to say this when i was in kentucky last year on my second trip to kentucky it was not like that there wasn't nearly the amount of white oaks that we at least not in the areas i was in um that we have out here and and i remember one day it was in october early october so the acres were starting to, to fall and the trees that were really starting to to produce uh, were getting hit really hard and mm. so i remember one day i was it was an, an evening hunt and i was sitting um on a on a cornfield like a, right inside the woods not I wouldn't say it was a, a field edge cuz I was hunting the woods as well yeah um but I could see just a couple little windows of this cornfield and all of a sudden man I just start seeing deer just popping out popping out popping out popping out of the, these woods so I get to looking at my map I'm like it looks like they're they're popping out right here and um and I could access the, I was I was kayak accessing right there but I could actually access where those deer were Coming out at by the road probably a little bit easier because it was giant, big, huge, big, huge ag field right there, and so I got to look in at the map and I was like, okay, that looks like it. The next morning I hiked in there and went to where I thought they were popping out at. It ended up not being right there, but when I was walking out that morning, I came across these primary, this primary feed yeah. tree, and that is exactly the spot where those deer were staged up before they popped into that field. Yeah. I mean, it was like it all, it all just clicked. And so, you know, those primary feed trees, what I've seen with those, obviously you have in that, in that situation, you have the cornfield. So their, their, their majority of their time is going to spent Mm -hmm. in that cornfield. But dude, it looked like, it looked like hogs had just come through there and plowed it, plowed it over every, every leaf was, was chomped up and, and all that. And that was the first time I really ever had a, um, and I've hunted, I have hunted feed trees, you know. Mm-hmm. But this was like, I guess maybe you put the primary yeah. on that. This was the primary feed tree, yeah, yeah I see. in the area. We,
2: or at That's, least I. And did. you
3: could see the the clear line of delineation between uh, between the outer right. uh, circle of that tree, and as Mr. Womack referred to it the, uh, the radius of the drip line, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He had, he had perfect terminology for everything because he has a systematic approach to everything, which a lot of successful people have in no matter what, in whatever regard their, uh, their passion is or their success is.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like, you know, so many of us, so many of us are always just like working really hard to try to figure out Okay, what's my next step in in getting right. here, 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 or whatever? Um, and and it's really easy to get away from the things that have worked for you right. in the past, and that's why I like Mister Womack in this episode because he doesn't like he may change some things, like like he changed, got into the saddle, and mm-hmm. he may change some spot some things, but at the end of the day, and and his journal probably has a lot to do with that because what he ends up doing is going back and having a place where he can just reflect and look at without, again, without using any brain power, he has it written down, so he's not having to just try to remember everything, but he has a place where he can look at and see all of the common denominators with all of these encounters, with all of these kills, um, from the day that it was on, and it just, what you're talking about, Ted, about it being a systematic approach, it's a system that he can go back and look and prove that it worked.
3: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, to your point on that, on his documentation of those kills, you know, this is maybe one of the underlooked things of our aspects of the podcast that I took away is that, you know, he knew the exact, not only the exact number, but he knew the, you know, a short story associated with that and could recollect that easily. Mm-hmm. Um, not, and not to mention the fact that at 77 years old, he's incorporating a computer and now a phone into that. So that's really <laughs> cool also. Right. Yeah. But the fact that he knows exactly how many deer he kills, now think about that a lot of people especially when that number is i think it was 385 is that right yeah it's yeah it's, it's, uh,
1: it's over 350 yeah. i know that so a lot of people would be
3: turned off by that a lot of people would think of that hunter you know especially if they didn't know who it was or they didn't know warren uh would think that that's uh you know that's like a, a blood sport or you know that's a uh, I don't know that keeping stats like that. I think that there's this negative connotation out there and, you know, I probably have uh, shied away from doing stuff like that in the past for that reason, but the meaning that he has behind it is far greater than just a number of kills or the quantity of, uh, of deer that he's, that he's killed. It, it had meaning to it. It had substance to it. Um, so it's kind of opened my eyes to that. And, you know, I, I talked to a couple other people recently that have, have done similar things. And I've encouraged my son to do that now because I, I wouldn't be able to possibly recollect all the deer that I've killed. Um, but I've encouraged my son to do that. And he's at 16 deer now. And he's started, you know, he has a little short story written about each one of them. So, you know, we've kind of taken a page from that. And I, I think that that's really cool. It's not, uh, you know, uh, just a meaningless stat of how many deer have you killed. There's mm-hmm. a meaning behind it. Yeah. There's substance behind it, and I find that pretty
1: powerful. Yeah, that's cool. All right, so I think that's. Uh, I think we're good. Does anybody have any last final words on on Mister Womack?
2: I just want to listen again.
1: You just want to listen to it again. Yep. I probably will listen to it <laughs> again now that we've been talking about it. All right, so let's move on to Jamie McKay. And, uh, Jamie was our, our guest. This was, this was a hard thing for me because, um, there was a lot of good people that I could have talked to from Alabama because I know a lot of people from Alabama and I know a lot of people who are good deer hunters in Alabama, but, but I really kind of wanted to spread it out a little bit more and not just talk to people from Alabama. Um, but Jamie was the one that people kept bringing him up Mm -hmm. to me, like. Man, have you met Jamie McKay? Have you ever met Jamie McKay? Jamie McKay is—he's the real deal. You should yeah. probably talk to Jamie McKay, get him on the podcast. And and you know, the, one of the the other funny thing, um, Ted, you may not you may not understand this because you're from Missouri and and you, uh, you you may you may not have nearly the amount of of Southern accents that we have down here. But anytime somebody tells me that. Oh, so and so's, they kill big deer on Bankhead. I, I like, I just, I just get this mental image of what the person probably talks like and how they <laughs> sound. And it like, eh, it may not, may not translate well on a, on a podcast. Um, and so somebody told me about Jamie McKay and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to him. And I called him up on the phone and this guy was impressive from the, from the get go. He's very, he's well spoken. Um, he's He's southern as they get but he's very he's a very well spoken guy he's super kind um and and he's very smart and super successful mm-hmm. um this guy has got i mean like i think it was a thirty one skull caps mm-hmm. that are that are up in that in that room that that are all impressive like yeah I'm not talking about like oh it's just a dink here and there these are deer that a lot of people would have shoulder mounted. And I walked into that room and I was like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's really that's really neat. And then we went inside his house and he was like, Here's where the big boys are at and I was like, <laughs> Holy crap. He's just got just a, a wall full of full of things, so that uh, full of deer that are just super impressive. So let's start backwards and we'll start with you, Ted. Let's uh let's talk about Jamie McKay. What's something that stuck out to you?
3: Okay. Uh so I would say, you know, with the the number 31 stuck out in my mind also. Um and you know the the 31 skull caps that you referenced. Um one of the things that I liked about that though is well for one thing he welcomed you into his home. So that really says a lot right there. Yeah.
4: And it you know it,
3: it makes I you know I would have to say it probably makes for a better podcast, you know, when you're in person. So it does. um that that's always good, you know. i, I like to see that and hear that. Uh but to me, you know, we there was the conversation after the you know, the thirty one skullcats were referenced went to the score of those deer and I think the range was like from uh the one hundred thirties to one hundred sixty two or something like that. But mm-hmm. I, you know, you can tell by the way somebody talks about that, what does it mean to them? Um because, you know, scoring can be a mechanism for you know, uh, you know, understanding how mature that deer was, or you know, how at the end of the day, it just matters how big is the trophy to the right. uh, to the hunter. And I could tell that is what resonated with Jamie. It wasn't, oh, I killed a one sixty two and it was ten inches bigger than my buddies, You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it 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 was just a frame of reference for a guy that uh, enjoys killing deer the right way on public mm-hmm. land um, where a lot of others have not had that success. Uh, so, you know, I thought that was pretty cool. I, and I, again, the, uh, the recurring theme of getting others involved in hunting and, you know, the story of him and his daughter, uh, dragging out that eight point buck and, you know, she got blisters, but she wants to go back to that same spot this year. Uh, that <laughs> always resonates with me.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that whole that whole segment about him talking about his daughter and and taking her out and then he he ended up sending me after I think it was after the podcast he ended up sending me a uh, uh, a picture of the one the daughter that that killed the eight point on I think it was an eight point yeah on on public land uh just the whole story was just <laughs> just absolutely incredible I, I really enjoyed that and uh, I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna make it a little bit awkward here. Right here, Ted, because I just read your message that you sent me about um, about Jamie not killing a deer over a scrape. Um, Calling me out, huh? No, no. Make sure I got that in. (laughs) No, yeah, I I think it's I think it's really interesting. Um, and, and talk about that, Ted, from your perspective. Is is that something in Missouri that would be? probably pretty rare is, is, is it kind of a, a normal thing to hunt over scrapes? Yeah. You
3: know I mean, I think that when you get into, you know, that, that pre-rut time frame of, uh, you know, mid October to, you know, for basically the last two weeks of October and, you know, into November, you know, a lot of times you're going to be focusing on, um, you know, a scrape close to bedding. Uh, right. so yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a pretty common tactic around here, you know, especially when targeting a specific buck or a specific buck bedding area, but yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting that he said that he has uh, spent countless hours sitting over, you know, what I'm sure he was referring to as destination scrapes, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, close to bedding. And I, I, the, I don't know exactly if he said that he's never seen a buck come to it, but something along those lines, a lot of hours and very yeah. few encounters. And yeah. I found that pretty interesting. Yeah.
2: So, so Ted, let me, let me ask you just, um, j- just, to be clear, it's not just a scrape that you're hunting. It's a scrape close to bedding that you're so proximity matters. That that is what you're saying. Correct.
3: Absolutely. Because okay. the majority of scrapes are made at night along right. field edges. Or even in staging areas that that, you know, mature buck is not going to reach that area uh, before it gets dark.
2: Right. And that, that's what we see a lot down here is on the edge of a, you know, clear cut green field, you know, um, something like that. We will see those. And then, you know, guys set up over those and they're like, I've set up here for the last four weeks and I haven't seen nothing. And it's like, well, yeah, because one or two o'clock in the morning, that's when it's being made. Mm-hmm. but But you're saying – the proximity to bedding is what makes you hunt that, that, that scrape.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. That okay. buck is going, you know, if he's a, if he's a mature dominant buck, he's going to want to get up and mark his territory. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, earlier in the year, he's going to want to get up and eat acorns. Mm-hmm. And of course we already talked about how, right. uh, you know, how ubiquitous they are and they can kind of almost meander off in any direction. But right. so when you get into that late October timeframe, there, I find that you know that mature buck is going to want to get up and mark his territory, yeah. Uh, whether that be through a rub or a scrape, but he's typically going to want to find his way to uh, you know one of those primary scrapes on the edges of his bedding, uh, and get you know get there pretty quick, and it's typically going to be within daylight or right at you know that last shooting minute.
4: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I I don't know if you've heard this. This was on a hunting beast. Um, hunting beast podcast episode probably the most recent one that they've done and it was with uh andre de and he talks about pecking order licking branches and basically those early season quote unquote scrapes that people think are would be considered scrapes because the the ground is you know tore up bare it's down to the dirt where they're at but what it really is is the bucks just establishing pecking order on that licking branch. And they stand in that mm. same spot so many times um, that it just eventually wears down the grass because so much, so many bucks are, are trying to establish where they fall in the pecking order. Um, and that is where you would hunt in that early season. If you're going to hunt a scrape, I don't hunt scrapes. That, that would be the closest thing I would ever do to, if I, if I see something open up like around the beginning of October or so, or, or something yeah. that looks like a scrape, what I'm gonna assume is is that's a pecking order, um, Ted. And the reason I say that early October is because that's our early season. Our our rut um, out here is is like December, so it's it's like later in December, some places in January. So it would actually be probably closer to what for you guys, um, where you're at, what you would experience around September. You're kind of early season, early season stuff. But for us in October, that scrape. It may not be a scrape, and actually, somebody, uh, a guy, was listening to the podcast that hunts where we hunt, mm-hmm. and and he sent me a video of a buck that he was that he had been watching for mm-hmm. a couple of years, a, a good deer. I mean, yeah. a really good buck, and it's a video trail camera. Nice. And um, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, man, that's that's a good buck. It looks like a that looks like a solid deer. And I noticed that the the leaves are green behind it, and mm-hmm. so it wasn't, um. It wasn't late in the season. Leaves hadn't dropped yeah. yet. Everything was still green. Yeah. Um, but this buck is on a, on a scrape where he's licking a branch. And later in the video, it's, it's only about a 20-second video or something, I messaged the guy. I said, hey, quick question. Did that buck ever actually paw at the ground? And, and he was like, no, he didn't. He never, hmm. he never pawed at the ground. And I was like, that is where I would hunt. That's the type of quote-unquote scrape which is not right that I would hunt and it, and it kind of proves that theory that Andre was talking about that th- these aren't necessarily scrapes it doesn't mean they won't turn into scrapes eventually once right. once they start opening up scrapes but they're not necessarily always going to be scrapes it might just be worn out dirt it's true. which is pretty interesting mm-hmm. that's where I would that's the only time here in the south and cuz I agree with Jamie that's the only time yeah. here in the south that I would ever hunt a scrape just because it's there's a scrape there now I may hunt a terrain feature That has a scrape close by, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to be hunting there specifically because I see a scrape. I'm going to be hunting there for something else because once, once they start opening up, I mean, again, most of, most of the sign that I see is, is made at night. Yeah. I just don't see it. I don't see bucks working scrapes unless they're close to bedding like Ted Ted is talking about. Um, And really only in that early part of the season, I don't, I just don't see bucks hit scrapes. No, I don't either. That was, that yeah, was like... and,
3: you know, they, I think that they, they use licking branches year-round, right?
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: not until, you know, the buildup of testosterone do they start to scrape, right? So right. Uh, the testosterone is what wants to, you know, uh, makes them instinctively mark their territory. And, you know, around here, so in Missouri, you know, in the early October time frame, you'll see young bucks who don't know how to handle that testosterone. Just like when we were teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. We acted all young and dumb and, uh, after marking our territory (laughs) as much as we possibly could. Right. Uh, So the young bucks start making their scrapes. then, you know, they they take it to another level and they're just not using the licking branches. But I mean, I agree with the the pecking order all year long is, uh, displayed in the licking branches and then when the bucks of that age you know that testosterone gets to be a, at a significant point then they start you know using those scrapes and you know that's uh the same reason that you know they start to smell it you know uh you kill a, a, a mature buck during the early season they don't stink you kill a big buck in the second week in november uh they smell like piss and tarsal glands and you know i mean it's uh yeah. mm-hmm. you know they they pee right down their leg right through their tarsal gland and you know that's one of the things i always look for is that dark staining uh of the tarsal gland down the leg from them peeing down their leg into the scrape right
4: mm-hmm.
1: right so man that was that's just a lot of really good information right there on jamie's episode if you haven't listened to that one guys go ahead and Check that one out, especially if you're a southern hunter. That one really is catered to, to the southern the southern deer hunter. But we're gonna move on uh, fairly quickly, Ted. I know you got I know you got things you got to do and places you got to be at. So I wanna I wanna be able to respect that um, as much as we can. So let's move on to uh, who is next, Peter, Peter Updike. Peter Updike. Yeah. Peter Updike. Um, Drew, why don't you start us out on Peter?
2: Well, man, his his really was just. Um, it wasn't a tactical based you know um podcast which which I liked because it was something different mm-hmm. but just the passion that he has for for hunting for public land for um introducing people, which once again there's there's that theme again of um in, introducing people kids um um hunters to this great sport that we love and you can tell just by the way that he talks mm-hmm. he loves hunting and he loves hunting public land yeah. I mean, he just does. I mean, period. He, just yeah. period. I mean, I mean, literally after the whole podcast was done, I was like, man, we should just put a period on this whole thing because it was like <laughs> he was so emphatic about it. You know, yeah. it was it was it was really refreshing to hear. I agree. was.
1: I agree. He he kind of he kind of set the stage for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it obviously he was the number three in the series, right. but if he were number one, he would have been the person setting the stage. Yeah. For all of the. That being influential, being more important than actually maybe even killing your, yeah. killing your buck, yeah. you know, yeah. um, kill it. There's a lot of people who kill big deer. I mean, there, there are, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people. Every time I get a, I get friend requests from people who it seems like they're just probably going to any deer hunter and sending them friend requests yeah. and I'll see, I have 150 yeah. friend requests from, or yeah. 150 mutual friends with this person. But these people, I never heard their name before. Don't know anything about them. But they're in their profile picture with a giant buck. Yeah. yeah. Giant bucks is not what giant bucks not is not what gets you known. No, and and I'm so
2: glad that you pointed that out, Parker, because one of the things that also we this this theme or thread is each one of these guys is very humble. Right. Just very humble, you know. Um you don't see them out there bashing people on Facebook or any of the forums for, mm-hmm. um, there, here's, here's my five point. Well, Mr. Warren's got 67 five points, you know, yeah. like no one's, no one's saying anything because, because of the type of man and character that he has mm-hmm. just, just, just really humble. Just really humble.
1: Yeah. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I, and I, that's, I would say that would be the same for me with Peter. You know, I'm, yeah. I, I got to talk to the guy. He invited me to come out and hunt his, his areas. Um, invited which is in florida so and that's my number one goal this this year and probably until it happens is to kill a deer a legal deer in florida if i could do that man i'd feel like i was
4: just
1: i'd feel like i was on top of the world yeah so um how about you ted
3: yeah i mean i, I i'm just gonna have to uh echo those sentiments and say that you know his his passion for the public land um you know it's it, it was just so obvious that you know that I would say probably nine and a half out of 10 people would go, you know, would have the same takeaway uh, from that podcast. And, you know, I love what he talked about, about, you know, the adventurous spirit of of getting youth into, uh, you know, cooking dinner over a campfire while you're out in the middle of nowhere uh, versus, you know, going to a movie or playing video games. And, you know, I, uh, you know, he said it, Himself, he said, you know, uh, with this passion for adventure and utilizing our public lands, you know, he really laid down the gauntlet because Mm -hmm. he challenged each and every one of us. And he said, if you're not using it, then you're basically against it because that you know, usage of that public land is what's going to keep that public land in our uh, federal government's hands, not transferring it to the states, which is a huge issue uh, that we're facing right now. Because right. the the federal government cannot sell off those lands, but our individual states can. Right.
4: So you know his
3: his knowledge of that is excellent. I'm very appreciative for people like him that are out there uh, spreading the word and you know, for lack of a better term, lobbying on behalf of that. Um, and you know, so that was the most important takeaway for me. Uh, but I w- also just kind of anecdotally i I was really interested in the bear conversation in, uh, in Florida, you know, I, I know that Florida has a heavy bear population. Um, but I've never, uh, heard it in such a way that, you know, where hunters were, were that scared. And it was that much of a legitimate threat while you're in the woods.
4: Mm-hmm. So,
3: you know, I'm accustomed to that when I, you know, I go out to Northwestern Montana I've been up there several times in the same place in the Bob Marshall And grizzlies are a legitimate threat. You know, I mean, it is front and center, uh, you know, with every step through the woods. Um, But I didn't realize it was that significant of a threat in Florida. Uh, It sounds like maybe the the bears down there had been conditioned to the fact, you know, just like the grizzlies in Montana, that, you know, a hunter could potentially equal a dead deer, uh, which Mm -hmm. equals food. So, you know, they've been classically trained like Pavlov's bear, right?
1: Yeah, 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 (laughs) that, that was, that was interesting, uh, to me as well. Um, and kind of going back to your point about what Peter, you know, he talked about the, the, um, the one day that they did, they opened up a quota hunt for Mm -hmm. bears for like one day before it got, the quota got met. And, um, and he said, you know what, I have really no desire to kill a bear. He's like if they if they opened it I probably wouldn't hunt them cuz I I don't really care to. And he said but I bought a tag anyways cuz mm-hmm. I want to support I want to support our uh, you know what what our public lands are doing. Yeah. And and going back to what you said Ted that is um that, that that was an incredible thing to hear you know I I am I am I I'm trying to say say this the right way. I'm not like that, right? Like I want to be. Mm-hmm. I want to be like that. Um I don't buy a duck stamps. Because mm-hmm. I don't duck hunt, hunt. Like right. why would I? Why would I buy a, buy a duck, sta- a duck right. stamp? But the, what that, what this episode did, is it challenged me mm-hmm. to just go ahead and do those things. Yeah. What's What's a couple dollars yeah. here and there that that goes to a greater cause and a greater right. purpose um, to support something that I completely agree with. Another right. example is the uh, at at some of the boat ramps that I use on public land, um, I have to pay to mm-hmm. use those boat ramps. It's like $45 a year. Mm -hmm. Well, for a little while, and I'll just be honest, when I first, this is, I mean, this is before I started a podcast or anything like that. This is a while back. Um, For a little while, I would go in there and see if I could get away with not getting (laughs) getting them to talk to me about, you know, like, I mean, it it was like, it's $45 for a year and then it's just a few dollars to do it during the, um, if you just do it every, you know, every day, if you do it just one day. Um, but I got to a point where I, I had spent so much money. I didn't know there was a yearly, I didn't know there was a yearly fee. And so I had easily spent $45 and then somebody told me, they're like, no, you can just get an annual pass. And I was like, well, bump this man, (laughs) (laughs) I've just been putting money in this thing every single day. And, uh, and, uh, so, but, but what, what Peter did was he challenged me in those type of situations to realize That it's not just they're not just taking your money because you know whatever hashtag taxes or capitalism or whatever you want to whatever you want to say that that's not what they're doing at all. In fact, they're they're using that to um, to build up and to they're using your money to create a um, a pool of money that they can use to you know keep our public lands there and pay the people who are taking care of the uh, the the land. You know what I mean? And so. that episode, for me, was all about that. Like, mm-hmm. being passionate yep. about your public land. And on top of that, Peter kills big deer in Florida. So, I mean... Which
2: is so hard to do.
1: Which is a hard. I mean, it's yeah. easy to overlook that. Well, it was
2: almost that. like a side note. It was. It and was. That, that was what was so refreshing about it, is that he was just so... Yeah. He's like, if, if I don't ever kill another deer, I'm, it's fine. But I'm introducing people to it. And um, I'm also letting people know that we have great public lands out there. It was just a really good episode. It really was.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, man. I was I was a fan. That's what I was. That's what I was kind of getting at. Is like he kills big deer, but we weren't really talking about that.
4: Mm-mm.
1: We didn't really talk about that. And every time I would try to talk about it, Peter was like, "Oh, but listen to this," and, and we would kind of go off into yeah. another thing about why he's passionate about public land. Yeah. And so like, uh, well, I think one of the things I said what I was asking him about. Like how he how he picks an area. I was mm-hmm. trying to make a little a little bit of tactical stuff in there. I'm talking about how, how do you how do you pick an area? Are you yeah. doing in season scouting or are you doing pre season scouting? Oh man, you know what? I just go out and enjoy the land. Yeah. That's what was his answer. Yeah. And I was like, Okay. I mean that's Yeah. That goes back to yeah. just being passionate yeah. about it. Just being passionate about yeah. public lands. It, it's it was so good
2: and 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 Ted this 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 reference what you were saying earlier about you and um, TJ going out camping getting up in the tree shooting the buck like just the whole experience of what that is is so much greater even than the kill you know um i know the best memories for me growing up was when that's when me and my dad went and did that you know wasn't about how big the buck was me and dad spent time in the outdoors and it was just the, the whole experience of it. It was it was awesome. It was
1: awesome. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to the most recent um podcast and the, the last one in the series, other than this one, of course. And that was the first time Double Lunger. Yep. The first time I've had somebody on the show that is not southern. <laughs> and that is uh Rick Kylie. And that was uh, for me, and I've been I've been following Rick for a while. Rick was similar to like Warren Womack, where you've mm-hmm. been following a person, you feel like you know him. Yeah. And when you finally get to talk to him, you're like, man, there's a reason why you're successful. And, yeah. and that's the same thing with all the people we've talked about. Um, you don't talk to the. I didn't talk to any of those guys and think, how does this guy kill deer? Right. How is this guy successful? And I didn't talk to any of these guys and wonder that. And it was no different. With Rick. Now, Rick is uh, a, a New Yorker, mm-hmm. and so I'm trying to do my best you New York you accent. Vic, can't, man. I can't it just, do it. Yeah. I can't do it well. I'm not well. You're sitting it.
2: here in a hat with Southern Ground and a beard. You know, yeah. you can't. You just can't it's happen. That's true.
1: But, he, man, he uh, he talked about some, <laughs> some really, really good things, and I want to start off with talking about the number one thing that he –
2: I think I know where you're going with this.
1: Yeah, you probably do because it, it took me off guard, and I think you can probably tell it from the episode – but what I said, what when you, when you decided to start hunting mature bucks, Rick, uh, I said, what what was the thing that um, just helped you more than anything? What got you there? What what do you think? Because he does, man. The guy mm-hmm. kills big deer all the time. And he said, shed hunting. And I was like, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, and it was so quick. He, he said it so quickly. I was like, okay, man. um, you just gotta explain this to me, cause, cause I don't feel like that's like that important. Obviously, there's intel mm-hmm. that you can use, and he's like, man, I just take when I when I find a shed, so, somewhere, when I find a <laughs> shed somewhere, and he's like, I, I just I basically just look at that area, and I just dissect the whole area from that point where I find that shed, I just dissect that whole area, and I try to figure out, um, okay, if if the buck sheds his yeah. horns here. Where's he bedded at? Is yeah. he bedded over here? He's bedded over there, whatever. And it, and it really, what it does for him, and, and, and I could be wrong about this, but I might, that I mean, this is, it, it would kind of make sense to me what it does more than anything is it just gets him on the right track. Right. Right? It just gets him started looking at the area. Right. He knows there's a buck there. Just go look at the, go look at where, what, you know, what's around. Try to find those those food sources or yeah um bedding areas or main trails or pinch points or anything where you can do that, and one of the things that he said was uh when I said hey so how how often do you kill the buck that you have found his sheds and he said oh I, I would say that's pr- I would say that's pretty rare
4: <laughs> and I don't know why
1: I just keep thinking of this in the New York accent <laughs> uh he's like I'd say that's pretty rare I've killed maybe six half a dozen and I'm like First off, for me, I'm like, that's not bad. That's pretty good. Yeah. You know, it seems, it seems like it's working for you. Yeah. Um, but he said, you know, more than anything, it what it does is it puts me, it just puts me in the right spot. Puts me in the in the areas where, um, there's going to be other mature bucks. He said, you know, if one of these, if I find a buck a shed, and that that deer dies, well, another mature buck's going to come right in right. into a spot. It's not gonna, it's not gonna, you know, affect, right, too much. He said, but. I mean, and the proof's really in the pudding for mm-hmm. for uh, for Rick. He, I mean, since I have been following him, most of his most of the stuff that he posts is doe killing does because he kills the bucks like right off the bat. Yeah, opening day kills giant deer, and I mean he just he's tagged out so fast. Yeah, you know it's like I'm really gonna enjoy <laughs> watching Instagram, <laughs> watching his Instagram feed for for the next three days before yeah. he's tagged out, you know, yeah. and then he's, he gets to doe hunting yeah. and posting videos. This is the other cool thing that he does is he's always posting videos of, um, big bucks going underneath his tree because mm-hmm. he's already tagged out. He can't shoot them. So he just videos them. Big deer. Going nice. I mean, the guy could tag out six times a year. Yeah. And so I say all that to say like the, the there's, there's really two things that, that are involved in this. It's the importance of scouting
4: mm-hmm.
1: and what he said, shed hunting, and I think shed hunting and scouting could be One the for same. us to be able to apply this to our situation. They would be the same. You're going to find certain certain pieces of buck sign that are going to be crucial in breaking down an area. Yeah, right. And if and if you're not finding that at all, then probably don't waste your time in that area. That that's not to say that you know it won't produce or it could never produce. Yeah, a buck. But I want to go to the area where I'm finding the most sign, the most, um, if anything, just to build my confidence in right. the area. So I'll, so that I will right. hunt it. And and so like for for that, you know, a a big giant track or a, right. an old rub or or a scrape or something like that could be used in the same situation as a shed. Yeah, because all that is doing for me is it's telling me, okay, there's bucks somewhere here.
4: Yeah.
1: They're somewhere around here. Yeah. I don't know where they're at, but I can start, I can really start looking deep into this area and trying to figure out if there's a scrape here, why is this scrape here? Right. And start just kind of backtracking or or giving possible, you know, points that, that could be valuable information for, for doing that. And so that's what it did for me. Just further instilled the value of scouting and getting out in the woods before the season starts. And, um, so yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of what I thought. Yeah,
2: I think my my big takeaway was the um, the breakdown of the end season. Like he mm-hmm. basically he he had early season, pre rut, rut, and then late season, and and how he broke it down. And um, Ted, I would be interested to hear from you because um, because it, it sounds like all the guys that we've had have also had a system of how they go about their deer season, of of what it looks like. And and I know for you. You have a system of what your saddle is getting up getting down and different things like that but rick broke down his 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 quarters that's what he called them was quarters and um like what he did in early season and 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 i know we don't have too much time but maybe ted just take us through like what do you do you look at the deer season as a whole or do you kind of break it down into smaller increments to 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 be able to attack it better
3: Uh, So that's a great question, you know, because everybody, I agree, you know, has everybody that's successful at something has some sort of systematic approach to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say for me, I definitely don't look at it as a whole. In fact, I wouldn't even look at it in quarters. I typically don't segment that way. You know, I don't, uh, I'm not the person that just like uh, lives by you know, cut and dry, um, norms or standards, you know, I look at a hunting season as a constant evolution. You know, it's a constant change every day, you know, in the early seasons, you're getting closer to the late early season. Uh, and then, you know, as, as late early season, um, wanes, you get closer to the pre rut, you know I mean? So I Mm -hmm. think there's different phases, but even within the late early season, for example, if a cold front comes through and gets a nice nasty rainy day, then I think that you're going to, you know, that particular day I would tailor my approach or, you know, my strategy more towards um, a late season slash pre rut hunt, you know, right. whereas, you know, if I was going out that day and it was going to be 80 degrees and sunny and it was early October, then I would just, you know, focus mainly on a, uh, late preseason strategy, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I think it, for me personally, anyway, it's, um, it's not cut and dry. It's going right. to be constantly evolving and changing. Right. Mm-hmm. That's good. But I, I, you know, I do like how Rick has, you know, he's got his system if that mm-hmm. works for him, obviously. Um, so, you know, I mean, again, you know, he's got a systematic approach that works for him. Um, and just like his, his archery, you know, I see that he is a, he's big into shooting. Um, right. And he's big into taking his kids shooting and everything. And, you know, again, it's just, it's an underlying theme of a systematic approach.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that that, that does bring me to another part of Rick's episode that was, that was really good to me. And, and it was the same as, you know, what we've talked about on all these people, Rick is constantly putting people on big deer. Mm-hmm. Like he's constantly taking people. It's not just his kids. No, right. he, he does. He, he does do that. He does do that, but he's putting other people, you know, there's a guy, um, who's actually a pastor at Rick's church. His name's Benjamin Murray. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, 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 I had no idea that they were even, they went to the same church or anything, right. but me and Ben got to talking, um, at the, uh, on Facebook the other day and I was like, dude, I had no idea. He was like, man, he's like, I blow up that guy's phone. He said, he's so generous with information yeah. about about deer hunting and, and how he does it and things that's like awesome, that. And I was man. like, man, that's that's just a really cool, cool thing to have people like that out there that, that are just such a wealth of knowledge and they're generous with it. Yeah. And uh, again, that's, I mean, that's everybody that's been on this. Everybody. On this thing. And and they've been so generous to be able to come on the show and and, and talk to us and and share stories, share tactics, share their passion mm-hmm. with all of us. And man, I've I've just really I've really, really enjoyed this series. Yeah.
2: It's been good, man. It's it, been very good. It's been really, really good.
1: And it's been it's been so neat, um, you know, for me to hear from other people, you know, listeners who are like, Man, that I've listened to this episode five times, or I've listened to this episode two or three times. I just Yeah. It's just been really cool. And and another thing too that that was really neat is that we, you know, we had some some technical difficulties uh, from when me and you recorded we were supposed to record with Rick mm-hmm. um, and then he had to work late and we just never could make it I never could make that episode with Rick work and then finally we did and it was worth every yeah every minute good. of it so um, yeah you got any any last words on it
2: no man Ted thanks so much brother for for coming on and it was, it was, it was great talking to you it was awesome hearing from a uh, a third party, you know, a a third opinion that's not down, down in it. And so it was, it was good stuff, man. Thank you so much.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. I really enjoyed it. Um, You know, all of the podcasts that that you do are, are, are great Parker, but you know, I really enjoyed that local legend series. And it was uh, really fun to get on the, on the cast with you and review, you know, kind of the all of our takeaways because, you know, We all take away something a little bit different. We all bring our own experiences to what we take away from that. And, uh, you know, as hunters, we can always learn from somebody else. So hopefully uh, all the listeners were able to get something out of this. I know I did. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me.
1: Man, again, that was such a fun time with Drew Robbins and Ted Bright. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show and breaking these things down. I'm super excited about you guys hearing this. And uh, I, I want to know what you guys thought about the Local legend series. I had a blast personally getting to be a part of it and getting to put it out there for everybody to listen to, everybody to soak in. Man, so much good information, whether it's, you know, just the, the, um, the drive to be somebody like what Warren Womack is and to be somebody that is um, not, I guess, distorted the view of what deer hunting is supposed to be. He is a man who has um, truly established the status of being legendary. You got guys like Jamie McKay, who is a little more tactics driven and um, and so much good information in that episode with Jamie McKay. And then you got Peter Updike, who is just absolutely passionate about public land and getting public land out there and letting people be a part of it and experience it and supporting it. Um, man, that is somebody that I want to be like one day. And then you've got guys like Rick Kylie who can just flat out kill big deer year in and year out. Just one of those guys that you need to be following from here on out because you know that he's going to be dropping some serious bone every single year in, uh, in Southern New York. Um, so much good information guys. Thank you for being a part of it, uh, and for supporting it and to our guests, the guys I just mentioned, man, thank you so much for bringing such a solid series and, and being able to help us put it all together. It was a blast. Like I said, I'm, I am really enjoyed it, and, and if you're listening to this and you listen to the whole series, um, let me know that you liked it, and we will do this again next year. I'm I am almost convinced that we needed to do it again no matter what, but... Man, if you guys can give me some feedback, that would be incredible. I would love to do this thing again. And if you have some guests in mind that you would like to have come on the show um, for the Local Legends series, I would love to talk to them, love to know about it. So send me a message. Go ahead and like the the Facebook page. That's Southern Ground Hunting on Facebook. We just hit 2,000 likes, and um, that's pretty much organic likes, and I'm super excited about that. Um, We we have um, really grown a lot probably in the last six months um to six six to seven eight months something like that it's really started to pick up a lot send me a message on there and let me know you like the series um you can also send me a dm on instagram that's at southern ground hunting go ahead and follow that page too and i post a lot of content on their daily videos pictures just things that are going on and and stuff like that like i said guys 19 days and we are going to be pumping out some serious content on the youtube channel I'm already doing it just about as weekly as I can do it and uh, and just doing some different off off off-season things DIY projects and things like that on the YouTube channel but starting in 19 days it will be hunting content from the beginning of September all the way to the end of February that's going to be mainly what it's gonna be is just watching different people deer hunt it's gonna be me it's gonna be some of my buddies that are in Kentucky if I go with some of my friends in Uh, in in other states that I'm going to be in this year. Uh, Obviously, my dad's going to be a huge part of that because we always make it a point to hunt together. So there's going to be a lot of great content. That's on the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. It would mean the world to me if you would go and subscribe to the YouTube channel if you have not. Um, But yeah, 19 days, and we're going to be getting after it. I'm super excited. If you don't already know, this podcast was bi-weekly for the first, I guess year and a half and now starting last week we are going to be weekly. I'm sure you can hear my phone ringing right now. I'm sorry about that everybody. Adam Cruz is texting me right now while I'm trying to do this recording. He says this. What if I told you that your property was infested I mean infested with rattlesnakes. Would that bother you? I believe that would that would bother me, Adam Cruz. Let me know guys, listeners, what would you what would you do if you were told that your property was infested with rattlesnakes? Would that bother you? That would probably bother me pretty bad. Neither here nor there. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode and putting up with my bullcrap. Literally just sitting here bullcrapping. Guys, I'm just thinking of the, the first of saying the first thing that comes to my mind. And uh, I'm not a big note taker. I don't have any notes that I'm going by. Just kind of bullcrapping with you. Hope you guys enjoy it. Hope you guys enjoy it each and every week. Um, Looking forward to bringing a whole lot more content coming to you this year. Super excited that you guys are listening. Thank you so much. Again, guys, if you're going to be in the woods, make sure that you remember that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.